Well, target practice. For two weeks now, we've looked at uh, the life of Joseph for some lessons that we can learn as we try to hit the target of God's will for our lives. Joseph became second in command to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And one might be tempted to think that Joseph went to the finest schools and he was groomed by the greatest leaders of his era to land such a position. But as we've seen, nothing could actually be further from the truth. A, Joseph wasn't even Egyptian, all right? He he, he didn't grow up in the land of Egypt. He was a Hebrew who was so hated by his brothers that they sold him into slavery and tricked their father into thinking that he was dead. And in Egypt, Joseph started out as a slave and then moved from being a slave to a prisoner, even though his only crime, quote-unquote, was being a man of integrity and moral character who refused the sexual advances of his boss's wife. So now we wouldn't think that serving as a slave or a prisoner would be good preparation for becoming prime minister to Egypt, which was the most dominant world power in this time. But we need to remember this about Joseph. It wasn't about him. It was about God working out his will and his plan in Joseph's life. And Luke one thirty seven tells us nothing will be impossible with God. We would say a slave and a prisoner is never going to be prime minister of any nation. Yet this isn't any ordinary prisoner. And this is an extraordinary God who's working in that slave and that prisoner's life. Now our series truth, and I've been repeating this and I hope it's beginning to sink in for you. Our series truth is this. Walk with God today to find his will for tomorrow. We talk about, I want to know God's will and decisions and choices that we're facing. Well, if you want to know that for tomorrow, walk with God today, which kind of brings us to to the question of, well, well, what does it mean to walk with God today? What does his will look like for me today? And I listed in your sermon notes there, uh, two components or two parts of God's will for today that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. But the most important thing that I've been reiterating is that you need to walk with God. Walk with God regardless of the situation or the circumstances in which you find yourself. And that's why our mission as a church uh, is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our mission statement. Because our desire is that everyone who comes and attends our church will begin and then cultivate a growing, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That they will walk with him so that they can work out his will in their life. Well, this morning, I want to talk about another element of what it means to walk with God today. And to do that, I want to share with you a story. It's a fable that I think maybe will help us get a a frame of reference and understand this concept. The fable is called The Animal School by George Rivas. Once upon a time, the animals decided that they should do something meaningful to help meet the changes that are taking place in the world around them. And so the animals organized a school, and they adopted an activity curriculum. And the curriculum consisted of running and climbing and swimming and flying. And to make it easier to administer the curriculum, all the animals had to take all of the subjects. Now, the duck was excellent at swimming. In fact, he was better than his instructor. But he made only passing grades in flying, 
and he was really, really bad at running. And since he was slow in running, the duck had to drop swimming and stay after school to practice and work on his running. This caused his web feet to become badly worn so that he was only average now in swimming. But average was acceptable to everyone except the duck, who knew that he used to excel at swimming. Now, the rabbit started at the top of his class in running, but he developed a nervous twitch in his leg muscles because he had so much makeup work in swimming and in flying. The squirrel was excellent in climbing, but he encountered constant frustration in flying class because the teacher insisted that he start from the ground and fly his way up instead of starting in the treetop and flying his way down. So he developed charley horses from overexertion, wound up getting only a C in climbing and a D in running. And the eagle, the eagle was a problem child. He was severely disciplined for being a nonconformist because in climbing he could beat everyone else to the top of the tree, but he insisted on doing it his way. So you think, what in the world are you telling us this story? What is the point? The point is this a duck is a duck. And it's built to swim, not run or fly or climb. And a squirrel is a squirrel. Expecting it to swim or fly instead of climb is going to drive a squirrel nuts. And eagles are beautiful creatures in the air, not in a foot race. And the rabbit will beat the eagle every time in a foot race, unless the eagle gets hungry and eats the rabbit. But, you know, this applies to us as believers in God's family. God hasn't made all of us the same. I mean, just look around and you can see that we're not all made the same. And God never intended to make us the same. It was God who planned and who designed our differences and our unique capabilities. So if God made you a duck, you're a duck. So swim like mad and don't get bent out of shape because you wobble when you run. Or you flap instead of fly. And if you're an eagle, stop expecting your squirrel brothers and sisters to soar like you do. Or or for your rabbit friends to build the same kind of nest that you do. Enjoy your uniqueness. Appreciate others for who they are, even though their outlook or their style may be different from yours. Sharpen your skills. Rabbits don't fly. Eagles don't swim. Ducks look funny trying to climb, and squirrels don't have feathers. Be the you that God created you to be and leave everything else up to him. You see, that's what we see modeled in Joseph's life, and that's our principle for walking with God today. What does God want in your life? What is God's will for you today? It is for you to do what you can do with what God has given you and then trust him with the results. That's what God wants for you today. Do what you can do with what he has given you and then trust him with the results. Turn to Genesis chapter 39 and let's look at how Joseph put this principle into practice and then how God used this principle to accomplish his will in Joseph's life. Now I'm going to hit the high points of about three chapters today uh, because there's a whole lot to the story. We don't have time to read it all. But when you get a few minutes, I encourage you to go back and read all of Genesis 39 and 40 and 41. And after we walk through Joseph's story, we're going to come back and hit a couple of points in this area. 
Joseph, from what we see in Scripture, did two things really, really well. We know he was able to do a lot of things, but he did two really well. First, one of Joseph's special skills and abilities was that of administration. He was a great administrator. And whether you call it the gift of administration, some have said it was the gift of leadership, others say it was overseeing, whatever you want to call it, Joseph managed projects and people really well. Now, he got a bad rap with his brothers. They didn't appreciate all that Joseph was able to do. But we see that even as a child and a teenager, Joseph's father sent him out to the fields and says, go check on your brothers and bring me back a report and let me know how they're doing. So even as a teenager, Joseph showed some skills and abilities in this area. Now, unfortunately, his family and most often our families don't, are the, usually the last ones to recognize and appreciate our skills and our abilities, right? Any of you ever been there where your family doesn't really recognize what you are able or capable of doing? Well, the first time we see Joseph really excel with his abilities of administration was in Potiphar's house. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 6, it says this, So he, the he here is Potiphar, the owner of everything, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So Joseph became head servant in Potiphar's household, overseeing all the other servants and managing Potiphar's entire estate. Probably like a large plantation kind of in terms that that we would understand. There was a lot that Joseph oversaw. Well, later in chapter 39, Joseph is cast into prison for standing up for what was right. And verse 22 of Genesis 39 tells us this, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Now, clearly, God is the one here who is giving the success, but Joseph was the one who was using the gifts he had been given in the situations in which he found himself. Now, I want to point out a second ability or gift that Joseph had been given because it opened the door for him to use his first gift on an even greater scale. Joseph also interpreted dreams. We talked a few weeks ago about the fact that Joseph had dreams as a teenager, and he went and he interpreted his dreams for his family. And he told them, my dream means one day you guys are going to bow down to me. Now, his family didn't like the dream, but you know what? Joseph was right. He was correct in the interpretation of that dream. And while overseeing the prison, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, the guy who tasted his food to make sure it wasn't poisoned, and you knew it wasn't poisoned because that guy died. How's that for a job, right? You're only successful when you're dead. Oh, look, the cupbearer did his job. He's laying over there. I was poisoned today. Um, So the chief cupbearer and the baker did something to get uh, out of the good graces of the Pharaoh, and he tossed them in prison. And while in prison, they both had a dream. And Genesis chapter 40, verse 6, tells us what happened. It says, When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to, look who gets the glory, look who gets the credit, God. Do not all interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. And so they did. And you know what? Joseph correctly interpreted both of their dreams. The cupbearer was going to be released in just a couple of days. 
knowing that this was going to happen, Joseph made a request of him in verse 14. Look at Joseph's request in verse 14. He says, remember me when it is well with you. That means when you're released and things are good for you again. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house, meaning this this prison house that I'm in. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of Hebrews. So Joseph says, A, I shouldn't be in this land at all. And then B, he says, and here also I have done nothing that should put me into the pit. So he says, I don't deserve to be in Egypt, nor do I deserve to be in prison in Egypt. So Joseph said, when you get out of here, remember me and help me get free. And I have heard preachers criticize Joseph for trying to secure his own release from prison. And they... they, Uh, harp on him for not having faith and not having trust in God. And you know what I say? Give the guy a break, would you? I mean, he's been through a whole lot. And so here he is in prison. He knows this guy is going to get released and he wants to be out of prison so bad that when he sees what may be an open door, he tests the handle to see if it's unlocked. But do you know the lesson that we learn from the cupbearer in spite of any human efforts of what we're trying to do? We're reminded of this. God is in control regardless of how we might try to change our situation. God is in control regardless of how we might try to change our situation. Here's the truth of the matter. The cupbearer was indeed the way Joseph would get out of prison. This request that he makes to remember me would happen. But it didn't happen in Joseph's time. Joseph was like, you're out of here in three days. Maybe on day four you'll remember me. I'll be out of here by day five. It didn't happen that way. But the cupbearer was Joseph's way out of prison. But it happened in God's time, not in Joseph's time. God was in control the entire way. Both dreams came true. The cupbearer was released. The baker was killed. And look at verse 23. It says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And look in verse 1 of chapter 41 to see how long that happened, that he was forgotten. After two whole years. So two years after this interpretation, Joseph is still sitting in prison. And we go, man, that's a bummer, isn't it? He got so close, so close, and yet he sits here for two more years. Well, back in week one... I said, we walk with God, so we'll, be, so we'll be there when we're ready. Well, obviously, Joseph still wasn't ready for God to use him and do what God had designed for him to do. So he waited for two more years, but Joseph continued to, to do and to use what he had been given to help those around him. And then one night, two years later, it happened. Pharaoh had a dream. And no one could interpret Pharaoh's dream. He talked to all of his wise men, all of his counselors who were very intelligent, very smart people. They didn't even offer a guess as to what his dream meant. And as Pharaoh was telling people about his dream, the cupbearer who's here in his presence overhears and goes, Oh, Joseph, prison, I forgot. Hey, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I know a guy who can interpret your dream. And he recounts the story of what happened. So all of a sudden, two years later, Joseph knows he's been forgotten and may have forgotten about his request to get out of there. But suddenly he's yanked from prison. He's cleaned up to be presentable to the Pharaoh and he's brought in before Pharaoh. In chapter 41, verse 15, 
we see Pharaoh saying this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Look at what Joseph says. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. So Pharaoh, this isn't me. He says, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And so the Pharaoh uh, tells him his dream, and Joseph interprets this dream, which was a warning from God that a great famine, a very severe famine, was going to come after seven years of great abundance in the land of Egypt. Knowing this is what's about to take place, Joseph, under the, the prompting of God and what God had laid on his heart, says to Pharaoh in verse 33, Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. Pharaoh heard the idea, liked the idea, and look at what he says in verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Pharaoh's recognizing God's work in Joseph's life. He says in verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh gave Joseph his signet ring, which is what he used to identify and to stamp seals and edicts and say, this is binding. This is from Pharaoh. It's basically he gave him a platinum gold card with no spending limit, you know, in our, our day, in our term. And Joseph went and he started conducting the affairs of Egypt on the spot. Now understand this. Within just a couple of hours, Joseph goes from being a prisoner in prison after having been a slave, this is 13 years now from the time of his dream uh, back in uh, Canaan to now being in Pharaoh's care. So 13 years this has taken. But within a couple of hours, he goes from being this prisoner to the prime minister of Egypt. Only God can do that. Only God can do that, can turn things around that fast. And why did it happen? What do we see lived out in Joseph's life? Well, Joseph was doing what he could do with what God had given him, and he was trusting God with the results. And what's Joseph's new job? Now what's Joseph doing? He's administrating. He's organizing. He's leading people. He's managing, not Potiphar's house, not the prison, the land of Egypt. God used the same skills and abilities he had been training and teaching and developing in Joseph to do this new job. Now, the phrase isn't communicated here, but the idea that's communicated is that the person that Joseph reported to didn't concern himself with anything that Joseph oversaw. Pharaoh had complete trust and faith in Joseph. Based on this one encounter, Joseph interpreting his dream, he said, you know what? I like you. I think you're going to be in charge now. We, you just don't do that. But through God working in Joseph's life, he was given complete control of everything in Egypt. And Joseph then had the freedom to do what God had equipped and called and trained him to do. So let's talk about a couple of lessons that we learn as we think about trying to do uh, what we can do with what God has given us and leaving the results up to him. 
You know, one of the first things we see is that when we use what we've been given to serve others, which is what Joseph did and what the Bible teaches that we all should do, when we use it to serve others, we focus less on self. We focus less on self. Each of Joseph's jobs was supervising other people, but he always did so under the authority of another person. He was under the authority of Potiphar, the warden, and eventually the Pharaoh. I believe Joseph may have had some pride issues as a young man at the age of 17 that God wanted to work on and remove from Joseph's heart and from his life. Remember, Joseph had the dream that his family was going to bow down to him. And it's quite possible that Joseph surmised, hey, if my family is going to bow down to me, maybe there are going to be other people who are going to bow down to me. I'm going to be somebody special. And God has told me uh, as much. So God designed Joseph's life so that in every way, in every situation, he was under the authority of another person. Every time, regardless of how much power and influence he had, he lived under the authority of someone over him. And you see, pride can be a very destructive force in our lives. Can it not? I mean, we've seen the devastating effects of pride. It can often lead to this sense of entitlement that people owe me something or, or people should, should treat me in a certain way or do certain things because I'm significant in some way. And we kind of build ourselves up in this. And so pride can lead to this sense of entitlement or it can lead to this haughty spirit that we look down on others and say, well, they're not as significant as I am because I do this or I've done this. And, and pride puffs us up. And so we think more highly of ourselves than we should. And the Bible tells us we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves Uh, than what the scripture teaches. And pride causes us then to demand our way. I want this. This is my desire. This is my preference. And I'm going to get it because I'm somebody. So pride causes us to demand our way, even if our way is at the expense of other people. And I thought a lot about this issue this week, and I came to a pretty bold uh, conclusion. The Bible doesn't give us a single right that we can demand for ourselves. Look at that and think about that statement. The Bible doesn't give us a single right that we can demand for ourselves. Now, there are some rights that come with our salvation in Jesus Christ and some things that we claim as a result of our salvation in Jesus Christ. The Bible says we have the right to become children of God when we confess our sins and and we lay down the rights to our life and we receive Christ. We have the right to become children of God. And as children of God, there are certain rights and things that we claim because of what Jesus Christ did to us because the Bible says that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. But those rights come as a result of our salvation in Christ. And we cannot demand our salvation. We don't look to God and say, God, you have to save me. I'm worthy of becoming one of your children because we have nothing to bargain with. The Bible says all of our good deeds and our acts of righteousness are as filthy rags. So think about standing before God and trying to force him and bargain with him and buy your salvation saying, God, here's a, here's a basket of my dirty laundry. Is this good enough to get me into heaven? No, it's not. We can't demand our salvation. We receive our salvation, the Bible says, through faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches and shows us that we're not to demand rights for ourselves, but as a matter of fact, we're to lay down rights to ourselves. Because when we use what God has given us to serve others, which is clearly what the Bible teaches, it takes the focus off of us, and we're able to better minister 
and impact the lives of other people. Here's what the Bible teaches us about serving others. We're told to love our neighbors as ourselves. In the Gospel of Luke, he writes and tells us to take up our cross daily and die to ourselves. We're to crucify ourselves every day and live in the resurrected power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 is describing true love. And he gives these two characteristics of true love in that description. He says, love doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't boast and say, look at me or or, I deserve this. He also says, love doesn't insist on its own way. And in John chapter 3, John the Baptist summed up his life and his ministry and his work by saying this. He said, he, talking about Jesus, must increase, I must decrease. More of Jesus, less of me. That's how John the Baptist said he wanted to live his life. And that's a great model, a great prayer for us to pray every day as well. Lord, may there be more of you and less of me in my life. You know, Joseph could have sat sullen in Potiphar's house and refused to do anything because his brothers had treated him unfairly. I shouldn't be here, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to be a a belligerent, hard-to-get-along-with slave. Then he could have become angry and bitter at being imprisoned after he stood up for what was right. Then he could have really gotten resentful sitting in prison for two years after correctly interpreting the cupbearer's dream and seeing him released. At any point, he could have crossed his arms and gone, hmm. I'm mad and I'm not doing anything for anybody. They think they got it bad. Well, listen to my story. You ever been there? That pity party for yourself? Well, their their situation isn't tough. They need to suck it up and deal with it. If they have my problems, they'd really know what it's like to have problems. You ever been there? This focus on self, this wallowing in self-pity? Joseph could have done that and said, God, I'm not doing anything until you get me out of here. I don't deserve this. It's not fair. When you get me out of here, then I'll start serving you when things go my way. But Joseph didn't do that. He used what he had been given to help those around him and over him succeed. Potiphar, the warden, and Pharaoh enjoyed the fruits of Joseph's labor. So if you want to succeed, serve others. Help them succeed and you'll be a success whether you're recognized and acknowledged for it or not. You may not be a success in the eyes of the world But you'll be a success in the eyes of God, and God has promised to bring his blessings into our lives. They may not be tangible outward, but that peace and that security of knowing that you're being faithful to God is that success and that blessing that God will bring to your heart and to your spirit. If Joseph had sulked and moped and threw himself a pity party, God would have accomplished his will through someone else, and Joseph would have missed seeing the extraordinary things that God did both in and through his life. So don't miss out on God's plan for your life by wallowing in self-pity or demanding your way and your rights. But a second thing that I challenge you with this morning is simply this. Be yourself. Be yourself. No one can be you better than you can. Did you know that? No one can be you better than you can. God created you to be who you are with all of your strengths and your weaknesses. And we all have them. We all have weaknesses. And it's okay. So I want to improve my weaknesses. It's fine to want to improve your weaknesses. We should do that. But remember, God created your strengths as well. And lean into those strengths and use those special strengths that God has given you. You know, the day I realized this truth was an incredibly liberating day in my life. And I used, I used to really wrestle with my identity as a pastor. 
I would read books by pastors and teachers and leaders from across America, and I'd think, man, I need to be more like that. Or more realistically, I would say, man, why can't I think of stuff like that? Why am I not that smart? You know, why, why can't I say it that way or, or do it that way uh, in my church and in my ministry? And I would attend conferences, and I would listen to sermons of some of these great speakers, and people would come, and they would give me sermons, and still not sure why they were doing that, you know, and stuff. But, but I would listen to these great speakers, and I'd think, man, I stink. I wish I could preach like that. Lord, why can't I preach like that? Why didn't he give me his skills and his abilities? Or I would think, maybe I ought to preach like that. And I found myself sounding like the person that I had just listened to or the, the person that I was, I was reading their stuff and, and these things were there. And then church members are always so, so gracious and kind and helpful in helping me understand God's call and what I need to do in my life. And they were telling me what I should preach about and how long I should preach and what clothes I should wear when I preach and uh, what music we should listen to before we got ready to preach and they should tell, you know, how we should spend our budget, what I should do with my time and what ministries we ought to do. They were always being very helpful and giving me all these ideas and these input to help me identify and find out who I was in Jesus Christ. And my head was like the hopper with bingo balls rolling around in there. And I had all these thoughts and all these things going, oh, do this and do this and do this. I was like, I was like schizophrenic. I kind of never knew, you know, what to do and and where to go, what to take place. But through a series of events in my life, God impressed upon my heart that I just needed to be Curtis Barnes. Because that was who he had created and equipped me to do. And I'll tell you, getting comfortable in my own skin made a huge difference in my life. Especially in times of difficulty and conflict. Because it was in those times that I would draw close to God and I'd say, God, am I being true to who you've called me to be? Am I being true to what you've called me to do and, and how you've called me to do it? And man, when I, my heart, my mind was clear before God, there was this incredible peace, this incredible calm where the Lord said, it doesn't matter. All these other things, you follow me, you walk in my will and the way I've called you, I'll take care of everything else. And I'll tell you, when your heart and your mind are clear before God, then the winds and the waves can swirl around you in all kinds of a storm and and turmoil and things like that. And you, like Jesus did, when there was a storm brewing and the disciples were all alarmed, where was Jesus? He was asleep in the front of the boat. You go, what in the world? He's sleeping in a storm? That's right. That calm, that peace in his life, knowing, Father, I'm true to you. I'm true to what you've called me to do. I'm being faithful in the task that you set before me. Jesus could sleep with the storm around him. And you'll find that same calm, that same peace in your heart, in your life, regardless of the situation in which you find yourself. Now, don't hear me saying this morning that we can adopt the attitude of, well, this is how God made me, this is what I'm like, so you're just going to have to deal with it. Okay? That, that is not a license for you to have that kind of heart and spirit. That's a cop-out, and it's usually people giving an excuse uh, to cover their character flaws or to just be flat-out mean or rude about something. Well, it's just the way I am. I just tell it like it is. Well, you know what? You don't get a biblical excuse for being mean and rude and nasty. All right? That is not a spiritual gift, so don't try to rationalize it in a spiritual way. Okay? We all have room for growth and maturity. And to experience growth and maturity in our lives, we must continually surrender ourselves to the, to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. We should always be striving to be more like Christ. Kind of in the way of analogy, it's like improving your car. If you buy a minivan, you have a minivan. 
And you may do things to change your minivan. You may change the tires. You may put a new stereo system or something in it, get some seat covers. But you do stuff. And generally in our minds, we do things that, quote, unquote, improve a minivan. You don't trick your minivan out like you would a sports car. Several years ago, we're sitting at a, at a red light, and this car pulls up with the, the spinner hubcaps. And Caleb goes, Dad, those are cool. We need some of those. And I said, Caleb, what are we going to put those on? He goes, we'll put them on the van. <laughs> yeah, our, our 1999 Dodge Grand Caravan. I was like, yeah, son, I just don't think that's going to look quite right on our van. But do what you can with what you've been given and trust God with the results. Take care of your minivan or your sports car or whatever you've been given. Try to improve it. But remember, it is what it is. All right? And treat it like it is what it is. And if you're a duck, swim. Ducks can run or at least waddle really fast, however you want to say that. But if you're a duck, don't compare yourself to rabbits in running because you won't measure up. If you're a squirrel, climb like crazy. But remember, you're never going to fly like an eagle. But that's okay. You're a squirrel, not an eagle. So here are questions for you this morning. Are you comfortable in your own skin? Are you using what God has given you for his glory and his honor? And are you trusting him with the results? Joseph used what he had been given to help others, and God blessed that. Are you focused on self or on others? Are you demanding your way and your rights, or are you surrendering yourself to Christ and allowing him to use you to serve other people? Joseph gave the glory and the credit to God, and what happened? Pharaoh spoke the name of God. Pharaoh said, wow, your God is pretty impressive. That's a great thing for us to remember when it comes to the area of evangelism. God has called us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our words and with our actions. And when we do that, God does his work in people's hearts and in their lives. Our responsibility is to tell, is to share. God does his work in their lives. And as we surrender our skills and our ability to God in our life and leave the results up to him, God uses those things to draw people to himself. Joseph was an administrator and a leader, and God sharpened those skills in slavery and in prison. Not a place where most of us would think that they would grow stronger and sharper. But Joseph surrendered his skills to God, and God used them to change the course of history. And if you will surrender yourself to God, God can use your life to impact people both now, for generations to come, and into eternity. So as we begin our invitation this morning, would you surrender every area of your life and every situation in your life to God? Joseph could have sat around like grumpy Smurf and done absolutely nothing, wallowing in self-pity. But he chose to walk with God and use the skills and abilities he had been given. And God did miraculous things in and through his life. And God can do the same in yours if you will just walk with him and then trust God with everything else.